Clay Toomey is an award-winning poet from Texas and the author of The Blue Chip Store, How Bank Robbery Changed My Life. This is Clay Toomey. I'm Duncan Gammy. You're listening to Dunk Tech. Um, all right. I, I'm here with Clay Toomey. Uh, sir, thank you very much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, so you, I, I want to go through sort of the uh, the story of your life. But the reason that I, I initially heard about you and uh, wanted to reach out was because at one point in your life, you were a bank robber, which sure. is a very... Um, uh, romanticized, uh, mythical sort of um, deal. So uh, as the first bank robber on, on this podcast, at least, do, do you feel uh, do, do you feel any attachment to that romantic uh, quality, e- even now that you are out of prison and, uh, you know, totally straight in that sense? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know about romanticize. I do know that, like, especially in the American culture and, and really globally, uh, we're just kind of okay with bank robbers. We, for some weird reason, we give bank robbers a free pass as though they're not, you know, often violent, uh, you know, trauma inducing people. We just, we, for whatever weird reason, like, we just are like, hey, you know what? Screw the banks and yay for anybody who screws them. And yep. uh, so a lot of times people just give a pass to, to people who commit this particular crime, which is it's kind of odd. Um, so I do acknowledge that it has been romanticized, I suppose. I don't particularly feel that way. Um, it's, it's more of a simple awareness that that's the way it is. Uh, but mm-hmm. I don't I don't particularly feel like uh, like it's anything all that special or fascinating or romantic or, or any anything else in a positive uh, light. I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it quite like that, but I also understand why the masses might. Well, it, you say that, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into this, but at some point before you, uh, began doing this, I'm sure you had probably, I mean, you, you must have, because you, you were not in the know, so to speak. You must have had a different opinion on what bank robbing is, what like, uh, what it might bring you the profits, et cetera. Well, my my stepmother was a bank teller most of my childhood. So I I was familiar with just the nuts and bolts of how bank security worked from a teller standpoint from a very early age. So even in considering the crime itself, there there was really never like an emotional connection to the crime or the people involved in the crime or anything else. I mean, I, I, I quite frankly just had a bit of an epiphany through a personal experience that, you know, bank security is so terrible that, you know, I I could probably just rob the place and and get away with it. And, you know, I, I don't know that I ever had this, uh, this idea, this, you know, fantasy, like, Ooh, I wonder if I could, or, you know, in a, in a way that, that was similar to like movies to me, it was more like, "Ah, I wonder if I could do this. Yeah, I probably could. And the crime, part of it was just secondary. I mean, it was there. I acknowledge it. I, I, I'm not like crazy, but, um, to me, it was just like a, a a worthwhile challenge or a worthy challenge, I suppose, which sounds bizarre. Like I fully admit that by the way. And I, I I talk about this. I've been talking about it for a long time now. So I, I say certain things and I rattle off certain phrases that I've spoken before. So I'm more comfortable saying them now, but I also am fully aware 
Like when you hear somebody say that, it's like, wait, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Like I, I get that part of it. It's just that I've, I've articulated it in that way so many times yeah. that I, I won't say I'm numb to it. I'm just, I'm just comfortable being honest. And, and that's the truth of it. Well, I, I hear you. And it, the word challenge is, is very uh, uh, well chosen because you, as you write in your book, um, you talk about your, uh, you know, your early years in school. And it seems like a lot of the times um, you would be faced with a teacher who was saying, no, don't do this or stop this kind of behavior. Yeah. And immediately when it got serious, when most kids would have gotten scared and said, oh, OK, I don't want to get in trouble. That's when you sort of took it as a challenge to be OK. Now's where the fun begins. Yeah, especially as a child in school, I didn't really understand the the reason that power structures existed the way that they that they did. And I understand that, like, generally, when you're a child, the older the the person, the more authority they have. So as a like as a 10 year old, a 15 year old might have authority over you or as a 15 year old, like a college student might have authority. And I and I, I knew that that's how it worked. But I always thought it was very bizarre because I thought there were certain situations where I even as a child just should not be under the authority of someone simply based on age. Cause we wouldn't do that. I don't, I don't know that I thought about it this deep at that age, but just how my mind eventually developed, I would think like, we don't do that with other things. We don't say with regard to gender or race or, or wealth or lack thereof or anything like that. We don't say, Hey, this guy is in charge simply because he is blah, blah, blah. And I know sometimes we kind of do, but as a general rule, it's just not okay to do that. So right. two, two random people walking down the road should be considered equal until you have a reason to say otherwise. So as a kid, like when a teacher would say like, don't talk in class, like something as simple as don't talk in class to me, like I understand, okay, don't disrupt class. That makes sense. But I'm not disrupting class. You know, school is almost over or whatever. Like why, 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 is, why am I being told to shut up and, and be quiet? And so I tested that. Why, why should I? Why should I? So if a teacher said something or gave instructions, if it didn't make sense, I would simply challenge it, not for the sake of being an asshole, but just for the sake of understanding why is this a thing? Do you have a reason for me to really do what you're asking me to do. And if it was simply a matter of because I'm in charge and I said to, that's never going to work. It didn't work when I was a child. It didn't work when I was, when I was a young adult and I'm 42 years now, 42 years old now still doesn't work. I, I don't, I don't, I don't acknowledge that that's reality. So just because I said so is not okay in that scenario. So now if I'm at your house and you say, Hey, get out of my house. And I say, why? And you say, cause I said, so I'm not going to say, Hey, that's not how it works, man. Like I'm not, it's not absolute yeah. across the board, but I think you get the idea. Like in that scenario, I need a reason to do what I'm being asked to do. And if I don't have one, then we're still at square one. Yes. See, I, I, I very much identify with this on some level because I was def definitely, um, particularly in like elementary school, a disruptive kid. Um, and I, I had encounters with the principals, et cetera. Um, and the attitude, it is right. It's like, okay, well, in some abstract realm, you know, excuse me, uh, so-called authority figure, you don't actually have the authority to do what you're telling me. Right. Um, but there is also, there is, and I've witnessed this myself, there is an arrogance to that, to that attitude of like, well, actually, uh, you know, 
<laughs> sir or ma'am, I'm going to be the one who's deciding the, the true power relationships here. I know there's an entire classroom of people who need to get on learning, but let's let's take a moment to to look at this. You see what I'm saying? Like, of course, it, it, there is an element of that in, in any kind of rebellion. Right? I totally I totally see where people would say that it's an arrogant stance to say I don't have to unless I have a reason to. But it, the funny thing about that is, and by funny, I don't mean actual humor, but it's just right. interesting that when it's something simple like stop talking, why? Because I said so. That's okay. It's, you're calling me arrogant, not you specifically, but I, I, people are comfortable saying you're just an arrogant little shit. By the way, I'm sorry. Is language okay or we need oh, to yeah, yeah, okay. do whatever you want? Then. Okay, cool. Uh, it's, it's, you're like, I can see where somebody say, Hey, you're being, you know, arrogant for the the way you stance, your, your stance on, they just said, stop talking. Okay. But if yeah. you shift it to something very severe and I will acknowledge in advance that this is a very severe example, but if a teacher said, Hey, pull down your pants. And I said, why? Because I said so. No, I'm not doing that. Right. It's not okay. You're, you're asking something that is not reasonable to me. And in that scenario, we would be proud that the child said no, and that's not okay. And we would encourage that kind of behavior. And so for, for me, uh, for the masses, the line is drawn way down the list of severity. Uh, you know, is the more severe it gets, the more comfortable they are saying, well, that's okay. But for me, it starts at the very top and there are no exceptions. So if, it, if a teacher or even in the adult world, if a police officer, if they say to do something and I don't think that it's okay uh, what they're asking me to do, then I'm, I'm going to ask why. I'm not just going to be a dick about it. I'm just going to be like, no, screw you. I don't want to. I mean, I'll have the dialogue with them. But if they can't tell me anything that brings me over to their side of the understanding, then I'm just not doing it. it just, I, and I think that, and I encourage other people to do the same, by the way, to the extent that they're comfortable. And, and for context, we should perhaps add that when you were growing up, this is Nick. This is in the era when they used to still paddle kids, right? Oh, yeah. yeah I got my ass beat all the time. Yeah. Okay. All the time. You feel like that was helpful? No. To correct your behavior? <laughs> no, no. Physical violence is not the case, is not the cure for behavioral um, issues. And, and I will not ever call it anything other than physical violence. And trust me when I say that my tolerance for violence is high. Like it's, it's not a matter of poor pedal for me. I can't take it. You know, please somebody save me. I was proud of the amount of pain that I could withstand. And in the eighth grade, I actually went twice a day to get paddled whether or not I even did anything wrong. I mean, it was 10 in the morning, two in the afternoon after second grade before, I mean, after second period, before second period. Yeah. And it's because my dad worked overnights and he didn't want to be woken up by calls. So he was like, you know what? Just do it twice. He's going to act up anyway. So just do it twice a day. Stop calling me. Let me sleep. And so wild. Yeah. It's bizarre. That, that'd be a lawsuit nowadays. I mean, my dad would be on the news for abusive parents and and the school (laughs) with the principals would be fired. And, you know, but to me at the time I was like, you know, okay. All right. Well, if y'all think that's going to work, then let me just go ahead and prove that wrong. So thankfully, yes, you know, those days are over for the, you know, for the most part, at least here in the States. I mean, you you don't just paddle kids anymore. And I think we realized that the kids who that works with aren't the ones that it's happening to anyways. The kids like me who don't respond to that and are somewhat immune to it. It's that's just a waste of energy. It's a waste of time. 
Yeah, no, that's totally true. I have a friend of mine who's a middle school teacher right now. And there's actually, he, he was telling me about, you know, the, the way that um, the thinking about like, quote unquote, problem children in classrooms has changed, where now it's seen like, okay, there are, you can be really punitive, and that'll work on like 80% of the kids. Yeah. But then there's like this 20% sliver that um, no amount of like the, the punitive stuff is just seen as a challenge. Yeah. And like, oh, wow, you're not going to break me. Right. Like, it, it's yeah. a kind of beautiful stubbornness on some level. Yeah. And I, I, I'm all about it. I think that that's a good thing. And some people, especially educators think that, you know, it's, it's a, it's worth kids knowing how to just fall in line. And I, I just could not possibly disagree more. I'm not about anarchy. I'm not about disorderly behavior just for the hell of it. But I do think that it's, that it's, that it's a good thing when people challenge uh, authority. I think, I think it's worth understanding why rules exist and that you know i'm a father i have two kids and i have rules there are things that my kids are not allowed to do and when they when they go against the rules i don't just go in a room and 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 beat them like i'm bigger and stronger than my kids and and there's no amount of fight back that they can have that will you know that can stop me hitting them if i decide to start hitting them and it's not fair like that's not that's not real world examples of how to handle issues so i don't want my kids to to think that physical violence is on the way when they break a rule. I want them to understand why there's a rule. Like there's a reason you can't download this app. There's a reason you can't go to that website. And if you don't follow the rules, then, uh, you you know, yes, there will might, there are probably going to be consequences, but it's not going to be violence because at some point, you know, like me, there was a point where my dad could no longer beat me. I'd beat him back. And that's the point where our relationship basically fell apart. So that's a sad reality, but it's, that's how it works. And I don't want that with my kids. I don't want my kids to be submissive until they're big enough and strong enough to fight me back. I don't think that's what healthy parenting should look like. Oh, absolutely. And how much of this then do you think, will you say the relationship with your father fell apart? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how much of this, um, like the fact that uh, illegitimate authority really strikes a nerve with you. How much of that do you think comes from uh, a relationship with your dad or just parents in general? Uh, If I had to give an estimate, I'd say somewhere in the neighborhood of 100%. I I think that (laughs) my my relationship with authority as a child completely shaped how I view it as an adult because I just know all the things that were an absolute waste of time when I was a kid. Like they just, they're just, they're just, they're just wrong. Like they're just objectively in if in you know they're not the way they're not effective they're they're just not going to work and um so yeah the, all of my right. you know I'm not putting it all on my dad I'm not putting it all even on my parents as a as as a team I, I think my dad my mom my my principals my teachers the people at my church you know my older cousins my big brother and like all these people collectively showed me how to how to fail at raising someone that well you mentioned your teachers where there's such a a, like sad story early on in your book and i mean it's not crazy or anything like that but it's it was touching where um you wanted to be the apprentice like 
for the can, can you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Can you explain yeah. that story? Sure. This is always uh, Mrs. Vasquez. I this is one of the few names that I left in my book when my editor was going through. She's like, you know, you're kind of you might want to cut some of these names, and I I did cut a lot of names. Yeah. Hers wasn't one of them. Well, I was in the fifth yeah. grade, and uh, we did this deal. Uh, just to summarize, there was you know at the end of every week, she pulled a name from a jar, and whoever that name was in the class that was her apprentice for the following entire following week and the the duties of an apprentice other than just feeling special and that was the teacher's you know right hand man that week uh you could like go to the office to make copies or you could run an errand or you know you just had like it, it wasn't like you were special all day every day for the whole week but there were like little bits and pieces of like being just you just had a little extra luxury it's kind of like getting bumped up to first class you're still flying on the same plane but there's just something cool about it and yeah. it didn't matter she made it very clear at the beginning of the year that it, it did not matter like she, nobody got rejected it wasn't like you didn't qualify for this your name was in the jar and that was qualification enough and your last duty of the week was to pull a name from the jar to pick the next week's. And then that person, just the cycle would continue over and over and over. And nobody would be apprenticed twice until everybody was apprenticed once. And to make a long story short, to when, you know, towards the end of the year, you know, all the kids, most of the kids have been called. I was one of the ones that hadn't. And then my name did get called. And by this point in the year, like fifth grade sucked, you know, for me, it's just as a student, as a son, as everything, it just was not fun, home life or school life. And, uh, this was like actually really cool that, you know, I, that I was going to get to be apprentice and like, we were giggling and like, there was people in the class that were giggling and just like, this is going to be like the worst kid in class. And, you know, let's see if she's really all about what she said. And she was like, you know, when they, when the kid pulled my name and said, clay, the teacher was like, clay, and we were all giggling, being fifth grade, you know, it was Friday afternoon and we're all just being silly. And, and she snatched the, the name to see if it was actually my name. And she was she didn't really give any effort to hiding her disgust. And she was like, oh, I don't think so, you know. And <coughs> she uh, she's like, no, you're, you're not going to be my apprentice. You don't deserve to be my apprentice. And then she wadded up the piece of paper with my name on it and threw it in the trash can and I, we kind of thought it was so severe and like it was so immature um even though it, as a fifth grader we didn't have the language to to call it that but it was so like dude what the hell that we thought it might have been a joke because it was it was just totally inappropriate and uh she had the kid pull another name and then that kid was the apprentice for the week and she went she i was the only one who never got to be that and she didn't really make any attempt at hiding her disgust or or even just like not being mean about it like she was like a total total asshole about the whole ordeal and uh yeah that was that was near the end of fifth grade and there are people i posted about this when i was writing the book i posted about it on facebook and there are people who 25 some odd years later remembered that that were in my class and they were like God, I totally remember that. And it was so, because I was asking them, like, am I exaggerating in my head this story? Because it's easy, especially over time, the older you get, it's easy to just be like this poor, pitiful me, victim of a mean teacher, you know? And then somebody else remembers and they're like, dude, it wasn't anything like that. So I actually was asking classmates, was it really like this? And they're like, yeah, we, I remember it like it was yesterday. 
and it was everybody was i mean i i suffered the 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 i don't know if trauma is really the right word i don't know if it was that severe but um everybody everybody got kicked in the nuts that day it was really weird it was really bizarre and uh and so yeah it's, that's it, it. That's one of those things that it it does. Uh, like I remember, I had a teacher once who we um, we were learning about time zones, and the um, you know I raised my hand. I said, "Well, wouldn't it be like a gradual shift of time zones? Like, why would it be like you're you're in one state and then you take a step and you're an hour back?" <laughs> and uh, I was like, "That doesn't make sense." He goes, um, "He goes, oh yeah." He goes. Uh, he goes, no, no, that's, that's not what it's about. Just, yeah. It just does that. He goes, if you have any more questions, you can, you can stay after class. I'm like, and it turns out later, it, it is gradual. And of the course, reason they changed yeah. it was because of like train times were, you know, out of whack. But it's like, man, you, you're so wrong in this moment, you know, and you want to just be able to, uh, as a kid, you can't correct it. So it just, you feel powerless. And in addition to wrong, there's also a lot of insecurities coming through that educator's words by just almost, I don't know, you didn't scoff when you did this, but I, I've, I've been a part of that kind of conversation plenty of times. And the scoffing is real. And almost it's almost like, you idiot little kid, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Shut up and listen to me yeah. as I bestow upon you the wisdom of all my years, you know. And sometimes it's just dumb to think that way. Even if you did go to college and I'm 10 years old. You can be wrong. You can like not know what you're talking about. You know, it's, oh, totally. it's really it's bizarre that those people exist, but they totally do. I, I'm just putting this together now. You said that your mom was a, a bank teller, correct? Yeah, my stepmom, yeah. Your stepmom. So it, in in, I mean, I don't know if you've been to uh, psychoanalysis, but a uh, a Freudian would say something like, uh, "Well, of course, you know, he's robbing banks. It's, it's anger against his stepmother." Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure someone would say that. I don't. I don't know that I've ever. Uh, I've never experienced that, or even heard anybody suggest that. I mean, my dad also worked for the for the you know the newspaper, and I don't have a problem with him. My biological mom, who I'm cl much closer with, um, yep. she worked. Uh, she did mostly clerical work for everything from you know food delivery comp companies to uh, turbine engine manufacturers. And I actually was a turbine mechanic for a while. So I think mm -hmm. stuff like that, it's, I'm always down for the conversation. It's worth exploring right. if nothing else for the entertainment value. And then yes. perhaps maybe there's more beyond that. Uh, I would say in this, in this scenario, it's, it's more that it just assisted me in being comfortable with the idea of robbing a bank than anything else. So, um, and you mentioned a couple, uh, things that you, you were in, um, in there, uh, jeweler at some point when, yep. when, when you mentioned that in the book, I thought yeah. this you was really did read the book. You didn't just like thumb through it. You actually read the damn thing. <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> um, so what, what did you, um, what was at that time in your life? It seems like you're, I, I think you're like 20 and you're married, um, which is really young. And you're Tell me about it. <laughs> and it looks like you're trying to do this trade or something like that. What was that phase of your life like? Um, I started doing jewelry work when I was 17. And it was uh, funny enough, I was an apprentice for someone that I knew uh, through church. My dad and this and this man were, were very close friends from honestly, probably before I was born. So he wasn't so much a boss, even though he technically was. He was more like an uncle to me. I was friends with his kids, you know, and 
uh, it was really cool to have this opportunity to do jewelry work, jewelry work. And uh, I loved it. It was great. My last year in high school, I was already working full time. So when I graduated high school, I just went straight into, you know, full time work as a jeweler. And I did that for three ish years and just thought it was the best thing ever. Um, I'm also a musician and I had dreams and aspirations related to that. And uh, at some point I decided that, you know, I don't want to do jewelry for my whole life. I want, I want to give music a shot as like actually doing something and, and becoming something. So yeah. I left the jewelry uh, job and just pursued music full time. I was also married, like you said, at the age of 20. My wife was 18, entirely too young <laughs> to, to get married. You should be able to get married before you're old enough to rent a car. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there, But there we were. And, uh, that's kind of where things got a little squirrely. Like it wasn't, I wasn't ready for married life. I wasn't, I didn't know how to be a husband. I didn't know how to just succeed at any of that. I was also trying to chase the music dreams and that's a very unstable thing to do financially. Whereas the jewelry job was very stable and there were, uh, things were just rocky. It was, it was a rough, uh, it was a rough time in my life and I, I didn't, I didn't know how to, handle things very well. So I just kind of, I just kind of fell all over myself for several years there. Yeah. And, um, at what point then, cause it's, it, it's funny. You, we've spent almost a half hour now talking about pretty much everything except bank robbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at what point, um, you were, I'm, 26 right now were you 26 27 when you robbed your first bank i was let me do some real quick math here i was 20 uh, almost 20 so i was 26 years old and uh, okay. a, a few a few several months shy of of 27 but yeah i was 20 26 years old the first time i robbed a bank yeah that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> that's uh and you, you you mentioned uh, very early on in the beginning of this conversation that you had a um, sort of fortuitous moment where you realized uh, how easy it would be to, to get away with something like this. Um, wh- what was that moment? I had a CD in the bank, a uh, certificate of deposit, not a music disc. Um, but I had a, my mom had a CD at the, at the bank, actually, that was in my name as well as her name. It was her money, her account. Um, and my name was attached to it solely for the purpose of, you know, if, if something were to happen to her, the money was mine without any red tape or, you know, filing paperwork or anything like that. So legally, technically, as far as the bank's concerned, the money was ours together. Um, but of course, I knew that it wasn't it wasn't mine to take. And it, there was no question of that. Um, so I decided uh, at some point that I'd I was going to go get it and go take it out. And I, I had some, I had some general disgust with how people um, around me dealt with their money. I had um, a very unhealthy outlook on personal finance. And I, I just, I thought things that just weren't true. I thought people were stingy. I thought, you know, person A had money, person B needed money. So where's the disconnect? Why are they not helping? And that was kind of my, um, that was kind of my glitch for a little while there. And I decided just kind of on my own, I'm, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to go take this money and do what I want with it. And so that money, which was, 
wasn't life. It wasn't like life changing money. It was, you know, roughly 25 grand or so. And, uh, so it was significant enough to notice that it was gone, but not so much right. that it was like, you know, I wasn't buying Lamborghinis or anything like that. So I went and took that yeah. money out and this was before the days of, you know, apps and smartphones and all that stuff. So you actually got a statement in the mail from the bank, you know, once a month and pay on paper through the mail. And it was usually two or three weeks after things happened. If you had a fraudulent charge yeah. or anything like that, it was a while before you knew. So from the time that I took the money out until the time that it was made known that the money was gone, I'd had a change of heart. And I was like, you know what? I, I really screwed up. I shouldn't have done that. And I didn't know what else to do other than just to deny it. And I just said, that wasn't me. I don't know anything about it. And bummer, somebody stole my identity, basically, is, is how I went about that. So they all believed it. Of, of course, they had no reason to not believe it. And really? Yeah, because I didn't have, I mean, I had a, there was no, there was no, there's just no reason to, you know, it's, um, it is more plausible that somebody stole my identity than for me, someone, I had no like outward ish. I didn't communicate my disgust with anybody. It wasn't like I was bitching about it for years and then finally did something about it. I, I just kind of thought a lot of things inside my head and then acted on them without anybody really knowing that I had those problems. So when, when all I had to do was say, yeah, I don't, I, it wasn't me. I don't know anything about it. I had no, had no issues in, in life as, that were related to money. I had a good job. My wife had a good job. We had a nice house. Like all was well. There was no reason for them to suspect anything, you know, sideways as far as, as far as they, as far as it came to me. And, and so. what were you doing? Uh, sorry to interrupt. No, as, what were you doing as your job at that point? I was a turbine mechanic. I worked for a company that, that manufactured industrial turbine engines. So like marine engines, uh, power generation, things like that. The same kind of engine that you see underneath the wing of a plane, except it was for yeah. industrial use instead of aviation. So I, I loved, I loved that job. It was, you know, I wasn't getting rich working there, but also I didn't have kids or anything like that. So the, the money that I made there was sufficient. It was, it was fine. And, yeah. uh, I didn't, I didn't need the money that I took and I didn't keep the money that I took. I, I gave it away as I thought, like all the things that I thought in my head, like, why doesn't this person help this person? So I just, I took the money and then I did what I thought was right, which was wrong. And I'll, I, I'm, I, I, I don't like justify it now, but again, it's like a lot of the other stuff. I'm just comfortable speaking about it. So it's, I'm not shrugging it off. Like it wasn't a big deal because it absolutely was a big deal, but that's, that's what I did with it. And ultimately, um, when the bank had the pictures and, you know, surveillance of me coming to the bank and doing all this, you know, there was really no denying that it was me if you knew. Yeah. So like my mom obviously recognized me, I recognized myself, but to any, any other person, you know, all, you know, five, 10 white guys in a certain range of body shape wearing similar clothes all look the same on bank surveillance, mm -hmm. you know, and you've, you've seen him on TV. Like, do you recognize this guy? I'm like, no, I don't recognize this guy. I can't hardly see him. Like bank surveillance yeah. is trash. It's, it's trash. Now it, it was especially trash in 05 and 06. So that's when I kind of had that epiphany, like, holy shit. Like if, if this is the best, if this is the best that they have, you know, I, I could, I could literally just rob the place. And if this is all they have, nobody's going to know who it was. So that's where that, that's where that kind of started. That is, did you see yourself as a kind of Robin Hood? 
No, no. I actually cringe when I hear people try to imply that or even sometimes just overtly state it. Um, because I, I, my motivation had nothing to do, um, especially with the bank robbery stuff, like maybe with taking that money out from my mom's account, like there was a little bit of, it wasn't Robin hood. It was, it was more like, you know what, this money means too much to you and I'm going to take it away because I, I think you need to understand that it's not that important. That was my thought at the time. And then transitioning into bank robbery, my motivation was not, you know, st- still from the rich to help the poor. It was, it was more, my motivation was, I wonder if I could do this. Like, this seems, you know, this seems like a fun thing. It's kind of exciting. It's, it's also terrifying. I might die, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, uh, it's, it's all the things that, that skydivers probably. I was going to say, dude, I I have the exact same feeling. I I like to, to climb, uh, buildings under construction. I have the same feeling, but it's. So it's just like that, which, you know, from, from another person's perspective, they hear that and they say, what the fuck are you talking about? Why do you, you climb buildings under construction? Are you out of your mind? And the question is like simple, like what the hell? But the answer is a little bit more complex because, you know, that's just what, that's what scratches your itch. And so for me, you know, my motivation was not to help the poor. My, My motivation was not to help anybody. My motivation was simply like, can I do this? Like, can I get away with this? And then the aftermath, you know, I have money that doesn't belong to me that I don't need. So, you know, giving it away or, you know, doing something with it that somebody else might call noble, it just simply wasn't any of that because it was just a, it was as an afterthought or a side effect or, or, you know, something like that. It was not, it was not the motivation. So not really down with the Robin Hood, you know, uh, connections or any of that stuff because it just that ain't me it's not that's not what was going on you know i talked to a while back on this this show i talked to a guy who uh followed this trader named naval i forget his last name but uh, in england and he was basically cheating the uh the stock market and he was making hundreds of millions of dollars but he never cashed out and he still lived at home with his parents and he just treated it like a video game like oh this is look at how many points i'm racking up totally kind of the the attitude yeah and and minus the points i didn't care how much i got you know there were a couple of robberies where i got more or less and when there were if there was too much money it would make me a little nervous because i felt like that i felt like that would bring more attention which would increase my risk and then there were times where the money was just so low that i felt like they tried to beat me in that particular robbery (laughs) so um, did you go back and rob them again no, I told actually I gave the I told her that's not enough. You can do better than that. It's one of the few times that I ever actually spoke during a robbery. Was yeah. was was in that one. That was the last one I did. Uh, by the way, but I I uh, I can totally see that that video game connection, or just uh, or just trying to solve a puzzle, or it's you know that's that's the that's where it's at. It's not about having money, or it's not about taking and helping other people or even supporting a habit or, or anything like that. It's just like, can I do this? And it's, this, it's I play video games and that feeling yeah. of, of video games is the same. Like it's, that's, that's what makes it fun. Yeah. You're, you're a true artist. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say that. That's, I mean, it's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm an, I'm an artist. If the art is how to have fun, you know, how yeah. to enjoy life in a little different way. So some people write and, you know, simple block letters, and I like to write in cursive. So, uh, did did you ever keep track of how much money you you accumulated? 
not on purpose. I mean, I, I have one of those weird memories to where if, if there's a number attached to it, I just don't forget it. Uh, so, yep. you know, I remember people's birthdays. I remember people's anniversaries. I remember the dates that I met people, but it's not intentional. It's just more like I just kind of incidentally like remember it. So yep. I do know, I do know exactly to the dollar what that amount is. Um, but I don't, I don't have any kind of emotional connection to it or, you know, I, I couldn't forget it if I tried. What What is it? Yeah, it's a popular question that I never answer because there's t- you know, for legal reasons. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, and and you know the the money that I that I took the, the banks that I did time for, um, you know those those it was three banks and uh, all that money has been paid back. I don't mind saying how much that was. That was uh, like eleven thousand two hundred bucks. Um, so it's not you know divide that by three and you're averaging like four grand, not even four grand a bank. Yeah. So for anybody running the numbers to decide if this is uh, worth doing? The answer is clearly no. Uh, right. If money, if if money is, is your motivation, then there's your answer. Don't do it. Um, and that's pretty typical, honestly. Like three or four grand per bank is is pretty pretty normal. At least it was back then. Um, so yeah, that's what it is for those uh, for those for those three banks. Yeah, Actually, I think that, it was a couple hundred less. That's with court fees added to it. Now that I think about it, but yeah, it's like like ten nine maybe. Yeah, there, there was a uh, economics um, sort of thing about uh, when, when is the best day to rob a bank? Mm-hmm. And uh, the conclusion was never, you know, because yeah. ultimately it's really not profitable. Exactly. Um, it's not. But, when, you, when you weigh all the factors, if you look at it strictly from an economic point of view, the ROI is pretty bad. I mean, the hourly rate is good if you can just like never get caught. But the math on getting caught is pretty bad. Yeah. How, um, um, for people who don't know, what was your MO in terms of robbing a bank? That sounds really complicated and vaults. And it's so simple. It's the simplest. It's easier than ordering a Big Mac. I mean, you literally, the way that I did it was walking in. I had a note that was usually written on the face of an envelope, like just a regular envelope that you would mail a letter in. And on the envelope, I wrote three lines and you know, they all, it changed over time, but the, the general idea was the first line said, give me, uh, give me money. The second line said, don't look at me. And the third line said, this is not a joke. So something in the neighborhood of those three phrases where it gave them instruction, gave them a second follow-up instruction, and also let them know that this was in fact legit. And, uh, they did their thing. They have their procedures that they train for, that they, that they prepare for, and they did it what they're supposed to do. And then I, I got the money and, and left. And that whole exchange um, lasted less time than it took for me to explain it just now. It's very fast. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't take long to hand somebody an envelope and then they give you money. You know, it's pretty fast. I've heard you say that if you were in the bank and you looked over, you might not even suspect a robbery was taking place. You would have to have such an amazing uh, intuition about you to know what was going on because it looks the same as a, a regular customer. You know, it's, it's, uh, I, that's the process of going to a bank. You hand them a piece of paper, they do some stuff in their drawer and then they say, anything else I can do for you? Have a nice day. You know, so that's the, that's the process of going into a bank as a regular customer. And it's not that different than going in, um, as a, as a criminal either. And so if you were, 10 feet away, five feet away, whatever, you would be clueless. You wouldn't have a reason. There would be no red flag that would say, hey, this guy's here to do bad things unless you were really in tune to the body language of the people 
involved. In other words, me and uh, the teller. So, and most people just running about their day to day life don't really pay attention that closely. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and, and you, you know, you talk about the the challenge aspect of it. What's interesting about this is that really the the part that's challenging is mustering up the courage to just walk into the bank and hand somebody this note because otherwise it seems like the sequence of events is pretty quick and, yeah. and pain free i think uh i don't i think if you have to work up the courage to do it then it's probably not going to be something you need to try i, I don't think that's i don't <laughs> i don't think that's i mean this which again you know talk about arrogance i'm sure that comes across extremely arrogant but certain things just aren't for certain people you know i would never climb up the side of a building at a construction site it's not my cup of tea there's no amount of courage working upping that i can do to make sure. me want to do that it's just not who it's not who i am um and then the next person they're excited at the very thought of it so there's again there's no courage that exists it's just a matter of like, is this me or is it not me? But when you were doing these things, were you emotionally, how did it feel? Um, so the first, the first one that I ever did, I had no plans to do multiple banks. I, I, I wasn't just, it's just not what I expected that I would ever want to do. Um, the first one that I did when I left, I immediately experienced emotions that were not positive i thought i'd like wow i really fucked up i should i'm tripping i should not have done that they know where i'm at i just made the worst mistake in my life you know and i'm driving down the road and i was i was i wouldn't say paranoid but i was um extremely uncomfortable for a good 30 45 minutes maybe i don't know all the way home turns on the news expecting to see you know (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) you know we're looking for this guy or whatever and I saw nothing. And, you know, you there's no reason you would have thought anything out of the ordinary happened that day. So once that fear kind of went away, it was pretty exciting. I mean, it was it was just like, I can't believe that I totally just did that. And that was the craziest thing that I've ever done. And now I want to do it again because, I, you know, it's it's something that I just I loved the feel of not really being in control, but also totally being in control. And it's a weird kind of dynamic, you know, and I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a term for it and, you know, psychology that I just don't know what that's called, but, um, it feels both, um, like being completely out of control and also just kind of riding along knowing that nothing's really going to happen. That's, that's not my way. So I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain, but yeah, it's, it was, it was definitely emotional in an exciting way. And then from that point forward, they were all just kind of like, you know, it was kind of fun for like, for you, like a better word. At, did you tell anybody about this at the time or were you just keeping this all in your head and being living this double life? Yeah. I would never tell anybody anything. I mean, my wife was a sweetheart who I wouldn't want that on her conscience. I wouldn't want her to right. have to hold that. Um, and also, I don't, I don't know that I would trust that she would be able to. So both of those are, are bad for me. So I didn't want to tell yeah. her. Obviously, the same would apply for my mom or, you know, my parents. I didn't tell my brother. Um, my best friend was a police officer. I don't think I have to explain why I wouldn't tell him. Um, so there was really nobody to tell that I thought it wouldn't make their life worse. And even if I did have a friend that I felt I could trust, not only to keep a secret, but also 
that it wouldn't disrupt their happiness, you know, having to keep the secret. I still don't know if I would have told them because to me, part of the excitement is having this thing that nobody knows about and this, you know, this extra secret, extra private, you know, super only I know about it thing. Like that was kind of cool too, you know, it's, it's, uh, everybody, like everybody loves a good secret and everybody loves like a good private thing to have for themselves. So that was kind of, that was kind of part of it too. Did you ever feel though that, you know, you're talking about with like your wife or your mom where there'd be times where it's like you're leaving, they go, Oh, I love you. And then you go think to yourself like, wait a second, you don't even really fully know me. How can you say you love me? Yeah, I never thought about that. I mean, to me, you know, I I I say that I, you know, if if I tell someone I love them, it's I think the the greater expansion on that phrase is that it's it's I'm saying that of all the things that I know about you and all the feelings that I have for you, you're so important to me that I I hope that you're around for a while, and and that's what to me love mostly looks like. So, I never had this thought of like you don't even know who I am, simply because they kind of they totally know who know who I am. They knew who I was, and it, it was. You know, nobody can know everything. So of, of a thousand details in my life, they might know 999. And I don't think that one would really change, you know, how they felt about me, at least not with the bank stuff. You know, but there are crimes where when you find out people yeah. do certain things, it's like, yeah, I don't ever want to talk to that guy again. But yeah, going back to what we opened with, you know, the, the, the thing about bank robbery and, and our culture is we really give a free pass a lot of times. And and um it's weird, but we do. So with my crime in particular, I, I didn't really, it never crossed my mind. What were their reactions when they found out? I don't know. I was in jail. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, when everybody found out, I, I, so I called my wife before, um, I turned myself in and right. I told her, I, I still didn't tell her what I did. I just told her like, I'm going to be gone for a while. Oh, I, that's what well, was her mind running with the possibilities um i think she you know we talked about it through letters uh after the fact but in the moment there was no indication that she expected anything i just i told her you know i'm going to be gone for a while and i'll call you when i get there and and you know things are going to be different for a while so and uh got off the phone with her i didn't call my mom i didn't call my brother i didn't call my best friend and um when everybody found out i think you know i've heard stories after the fact of you know people finding out and what they thought. And I think there was a pretty good mix of, you know, denial of people just saying, no, there's no way like, this is just not, this is not, that's not possible. Everything from that to, well, yeah, that makes sense. Like he's, that's pretty consistent with how he's always lived life. It's just a really, really exaggerated situation, you know, situational thing that happened. That's kind of like really bad, but this is pretty, normal like if you take away the emotion and the morals and all that other stuff you know what i did as a as a criminal it's pretty consistent with how i lived as a child and how, how i was as a student so i don't think i don't think very many people were shocked but also nobody nobody was like yeah well i saw that coming like i totally knew he was doing that you know so yeah yeah it, it is at, at any point did you feel like you were out of control I mean, you, you mentioned like, oh, being in control, we're in an out of control situation. But it, I know that if I was robbing banks, mm-hmm. I personally would feel like my life was off the rails. Um, but it sounds like you had a command of yourself throughout this entire experience. Is that correct or no? Yeah, for the most part, it's correct. I think through the through the crime uh, portion of it all, I totally was in control and 
had no real concerns with regard to being caught or anything like that. I think the point where I started to lose control or at least realize that I had no control was after I quit because I didn't want, I, I, my son was born near the end of all uh, all the bank stuff. And I didn't want to be like, I didn't want my kid to have a dad that was a bank robber. I, I, I wanted to be better than that. And I thought it was like, it wasn't fair for, you know, him to have that. I mean, he's, you know, a couple months old, so it's not like he knew any of that. But that's when I started feeling completely helpless and, um, and, and did not have any control because I didn't know what to do. Like at that point, like I've been doing this for like a year and nobody knows and I'm not even suspected anywhere. So do I just like, you know, move on and forget that it happened or do I tell somebody like, that's the point where I was like, and what the hell? Like, what, what, what now? Like, what's next? What's the right yeah. thing to do? And I totally felt like I just did not, I did not have any control. And even though I technically had control over choices that I made, I still felt like this is, this is complete. This is beyond anything that I'm prepared for or capable of handling. So. And it is interesting when you talk about early on in the book how you would, you know, if your dad said that he was going to, you know, spank you three times <laughs> and he forgot, you would remind him because you thought, you know, oh, well, yeah. he might remember later and, and right. get even, even more mad. Yeah, it, it was, did, it, did you feel it, an echo of that? Yeah, it's funny. There's there's not many people who've made that connection, uh, which is so it's fun because it's totally the same for me. Um, when I was a kid, like if my dad, we were out in public, he'd be like, yeah, that's we're going to, you know, we called them licks. You know, we're when you get spankings, when you get home, he'd be like, all right, that's two licks. That's three licks. He wouldn't do it in public. And if he forgot when we got home, I'd remind him for a few reasons. One, like you said, I, th- I thought I would dodge an increased uh, uh, you know, severity of punishment. If I just told him, like maybe he'd be like, "Oh well, thanks for telling me. That's very honest, very nice." Blah blah blah. But there was also kind of like the, um, I'll just say arrogance. The the arrogance of being a child and being like, "You're so incompetent that you forgot you're supposed to punish me," and I didn't <laughs> forget. And that and, you know, I'm superior to you because of this thing that I remembered that you forgot. And on top of that, you know, of course, I didn't articulate it this way. It was fucking eight years old but um on, on top of that th- there was the thought that you know in addition to all that also i'm showing you how little i care about this that that yeah. you can you can just you can spank me till i pass out and i'll i'll eventually wake up and i don't care and and i control how i react to this absurd thing that you're doing and i'm going to show you and throw it in your face that it doesn't matter to me so the thing with that as a child is is somewhat similar to turning myself in as an adult but i think as an adult you know it was there were there was a little bit more um r- responsibility behind it if that's even the right word because i thought i thought i was doing the right thing so I, I thought it was a step in the right direction so as a child there was none of that i didn't give a shit about right it doesn't didn't matter to me and as an adult turning myself in for for being a criminal there was the component of like, I'm out of control and I don't like the, I don't like life very much right now. I don't want to be here. I don't like it. I'm not enjoying it. I'm not good at it. Not all these things. And this one thing was a step towards like progress. So yeah, all the other stuff is there, you know, to an extent, but above all and predominantly my, my thoughts were like, I'm going to do something right. I'm actually going to do something that's beneficial for everybody 
and I hadn't had a whole lot of that in my life. Hey, have you read the book Crime and Punishment? Nope. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was supposed to, you know, when I was and, locked up. Um, at, at some point, at some point, you should you should give it a read because that's. So I've heard. I mean, it's very uh, resonant. Um, but that's a big uh, one, though. It's not a small. It's not like a small, you know, coffee table book, right? No, um, <laughs> but it's 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 like a a mystery, mm-hmm. so it, it reads pretty fast, you know. Um, but it, it, in any case, I'm I'm curious when you turn yourself in and you go to prison, you're there for about like three years, mm-hmm. um, uh, and which which is not. For bank robbery, I don't think that's that's an incredibly long time, is that? No, it's pretty short. No, I did about three and a half years, and that was pennies on the dollar. And uh, you, you've said before that, uh, you know, in prison, you get some respect as a bank robber. And how did that manifest itself? It's it's respect uh, in a way that, or, or it's, it's probably more accurate to say that it's more just like intrigue. You know, like we give celebrities a free pass out here you know if we right. if you were going to the grocery store and you saw some asshole park in the handicap spot because you know he just wanted to and he's driving like a lamborghini and you'd be like hey dude fuck this guy and then he gets out and it's like tom hanks and you so you're t- all of a sudden you're just like oh shit that's tom hanks dude and then you're like happy to meet him you don't respect him or his choice to park in a spot that doesn't belong to him you just totally get over it because like, Oh God damn, it's Tom Hanks. So a a very like way like smaller version of that is what it's like to be a bank robber in prison. Like dudes are just, they just think it's cool. Um, because again, it's one of the things that we, we make movies about it. We, we are just totally fine accepting that the banks are quote unquote getting screwed, you know, and we just don't really care about banks. We, we don't, and when you when you hear bank robbery or when you hear somebody as a bank robber, you don't you don't immediately connect victim to that. You connect right. bank to that and screw the banks. We hate the banks. Banks are trash. You know that. So it's like that in prison too. The same the same thing that people are interested in out here in the free world. It's like that in prison. So somebody finds out you're a bank robber. It's like, dude, tell me all about it. Like they they want to have the conversation that you and I are having right now. It just so happens yeah. that. They're convicted felons who are in prison right alongside me. Wow, it's pretty bizarre, really. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why. I don't know why it's like that, but it totally is. That and hackers. It's kind of like with a hacker. Hackers. Yeah, that's. It's like, how did you do it? Like, oh, that's so cool. Like, they stole one point two billion dollars from innocent people. Ah, but who cares? Do they hacked? It's, it's, it's so cool. They're hackers. You know. So, did, did you meet any hackers in, in prison? I met people who thought they were hackers. I, uh, you know, the good ones are, are still out here among us, you know? Uh, so they, there you go. they, uh, they, I probably won't ever meet them. So, but inside I'm, I met, I met every, I met every kind of person you could imagine. Really? Yeah. And, so. and any people make your skin crawl? Um, yeah, there were some people, especially, so I did state and federal time. Um, in state prison, it's really a, a much more basic criminal, like violent people, people who are there for beating up other people, people who are there for killing people, stealing cars, burglarizing houses. It's a it's a more simple. I mean, it's still wrong, but it's it's pretty straightforward in terms of of crime. And in yeah. federal prison is where you have like your internet criminals, who like I said, the hackers and all that. You know, people who defraud banks and stuff like that. Those are there, but also you have. Um, 
people who are there for for like you know un, sex offenders, underage uh, pornography, and stuff like that. And those dudes are mm-hmm. are not fun to be around. And most of the time, they're in in PC in protective custody, or they're at a special facility where that's all that they have there because it's it's not safe to be one of those guys. Um, you get extorted quite a bit when you're a sex offender. And, and it's even worse in the feds with regard to like, you know, child porn and stuff like that. Um, those guys are very, uh, they're different. It's, it's not a normal kind of person that does that kind of stuff. So that's the only thing that, that really comes to mind when I, when I hear the phrase, like, does anybody make your skin crawl? I did time with one guy who uh, went on a bit of a, I don't, I don't think I'd call him a serial killer, but he, he, he murdered several people. Um, and the way that he went about it is just like, dude, what are, what happened to you, man? Where, where is your life? Like where, what happened in your own childhood or whatever? It's, it's, yeah. it isn't, it's creepy. Like it's, you know, um, it's, 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 it's strange to know that somebody could be okay with all that. And I, and I also get that some people feel the exact same way about me. Um, so I, I, I get that part of it. Uh, but yeah, I, I've, I've been around a few people that, that, I wished I hadn't been around, but the, the cool thing about it in prison, you could just tell them, I'm going to kill you if you get close enough to me for me to kill you <laughs> and, and nobody's going to protect them. So did, did you have to, did you have to protect yourself in that way at, at any time? I didn't. No, I, I had it easy. I mean, like I said, you know, when you're, when it's like when you can draw really good or really well, you know, if you're an artist or something like that, or if you're, if you have, if you're a musician, like there's certain things in life like people just are interested in you and are, they're drawn to you. And, um, all that applied when I was in prison, like people were for the most part cool with me. And also, you know, I'm, I'm mostly friendly. Like I'm not super, I'm not going out of my way to ruin somebody's day. So I didn't have to do a lot of, you know, defending myself because I wasn't out there pissing people off. You know, I was, I did my time and I was playing chess and, you know, reading books and watching TV. And when football season rolled around, I was watching football. So I, there, there wasn't much need for me to, to defend myself. And certainly my crime itself wasn't a reason for people to attack me. So I had it pretty easy in that regard. Um, we're, we're at an hour here, so I don't want to take up any more of your time, but I did want to ask you, you know, the, the easy story to tell is, you know, the easy redemption arc is you went to prison, realized the folly of your ways, came out, and were uh, committed to being an entirely different man. Um, I feel like your story is a little bit more nuanced. Uh, did you feel like you were working on your soul in prison? Do you, how do you differentiate yourself now from the person you were before you turned yourself in? Yeah, I like that question. And I, and I love the conversation too, um, because I think it's, it's really important to point out that I'm not, I'm not different. I'm not, I'm not any different than I was 15 years ago when I was robbing banks. I'm the same person. I have the same brain. I have the same outlooks on life. Uh, the only difference is the choices that I make and, and the people that I consider when I make them. And, you know, when I was 20, six, 27 years old, I was just extremely selfish and nobody else mattered. And, and then came a point where I realized I'm just incredibly lonely and miserable and I hate everything about life. And at this point I can either kill myself or I can figure out a way to be happy. And those were, you know, it was about 50, 50 on which one I wanted to do. And, you know, having a child and wanting to be a father, realizing how much I don't think my dad succeeded. I, I took the opportunity to 
you know, change my family tree, so to speak. It's a Dave Ramsey phrase that I that I like. Usually he talks about money when he says it, but with me it's it's parenting. So um, the change with me was was before I went to prison, and it was it was just a matter of like I hate this. I I'm not happy, and happiness is like attainable, and I don't know how to find it. And if I could just make one damn choice that's good, then then I'll figure out the next one after that. And it's it's a painful it's a painful thing to call the police and say, Hey, come get me. And that sucks. And I hated everything about getting arrested. I hated prison. I hated all of it. Um, but in terms of, you know, soul searching, you know, spirituality, what, however you want to define it to me, when I went to prison, I basically died to the free world. I was gone. And at that point, it's a matter of like, can I figure out how to live life when I get out? And, you know, three plus years later, you know, I had, I'd spent a lot of time taking a look at myself and trying to think like ask honest pain, honest, painful questions. Like, is it really my fault that I'm such an asshole? The answer is yes. It's totally, it's totally my fault that I'm an asshole. And it's not my fault that I had bad adults in my life. It's not my fault that I had a teacher who laughed at me and threw my name in the trash. You know, it's not my fault that you know, everybody thought violence was the answer when I was a kid, but I'm an adult, man. It's totally my fault that I'm carrying all that shit with me into adulthood. So I don't know, man, I'm, I'm the same, I'm the same guy that I always was. I just, I just make different choices. And, and now my choices revolve around, you know, I, I like being successful at things. I don't think people ever really enjoy failure. You know, I'm, I was comfortable with it, but I, I would much rather succeed. I want to be a good employee. I want to be a good dad. You know, I want my kids to, to be proud that I'm, that I'm raising them. So, you know, how exactly can I go about that? Well, it's asking the hard questions and, you know, it's no different than how I robbed banks. Like, how can I do this with the most amount of efficiency possible and, you know, learn from other people's mistakes and do your best to not repeat them. So whether it's bank robbery, whether it's parenting, whether it's being an employee at work, whether it's driving a car down the road. I can make the choice of, am I going to just say, fuck it, I don't care, I'm doing what I want, and whatever happens, happens, or am I going to say, no, actually, life is worth giving attention to. Life is worth caring about, and as long as I'm here, that's, 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 my, that's my style of life, man. I, I care about being here. I care about myself. I care about my family. I care about the people around me. I just care. I just give a shit, man, and that's, that's what it's all about for me is just, just, just give a shit. Just try do something that's worthwhile. So, you know, that's why I do stuff like this. It's not fun to talk about the bad days. It's not, this is not something yeah. I enjoy, but I think it's worth it. And if, if there's one person who hears one sentence and that kick starts their first step, then it's worth it, you know? And I just, I think that that's, that's what defines happiness, you know, for me right now. Wait, I think that is a lovely note to end things on. Um, before we go, where can people find you if, if you want to be found? Um, if I want to be found, that's, I don't know. Call the police. They'll probably know where to find me. <laughs> it feels like they're following me all the time. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, you can find me anywhere. I'm on uh, pretty much anywhere. I, my, my username and basically every website on earth is hello. I am clay. So if you want to find me, that's that just Google that. Um, and, and, and whatever pops up is where, uh, you can find me and I don't, I don't, I'm not big on promotion. I don't have anything to whore out or whatever right now. So if they're curious, they'll, they'll go look 
And if, uh, if there's any more questions I can answer, then the door is always 100% open. There you go. Clay, thank you very much for your time and have a lovely day. My pleasure, man. Appreciate it. Thank you to Clay Toomey and thanks for listening to Dunk Tank. I'm Duncan Gammy. See you next time.